Hello and welcome to Macintosh and Mod Haven't Seen What. This week, we try to decide what's worse, how bad this movie is, or how bad Audrey Hepburn sings in it. Fred Astaire does his best to entertain, but nothing in the known universe can save a musical from a bad script, bad songs, and bad awkward acting. You voted for it, and now you get to hear us complain about it. Enjoy our review of 1957's Funny Face. guys, this is Diana, a.k.a. Mod, And this is David, a.k.a. Macintosh. And this week, you guys voted for us to watch Funny Face. And we hate you so much right now. Yeah, I'm a little mad. <laughs> I'm a little mad. I'm not mad at them. I'm not mad at them. It's my own fault. I put it as a possibility. Well, and I'm... Not <sighs> Just read the damn description. <sighs> An impromptu fashion shoot at a bookstore brings about a new fashion model discovery in the shop clerk. 1957, about a $3 million budget. This movie failed to break even in the box office. And it wasn't until Audrey Hepburn did My Fair Lady, and that was just a huge, you know, juggernaut, that they re-released this film, and then it started turning a profit. Oh. Uh, yeah, so this film didn't do very well, and... Uh, Movies are so weird like that. Yeah. You know what's interesting is I think... Films that don't do very well, if they re-release them in the same manner, they'd get their money back. Yeah, they would. Like, they, it would work better. With the person who, like, all of a sudden, oh, this person's actually, you know, famous now. Yeah. But we since I guess since we go straight to, like, on-demand and, and DVD, we, they just don't do that anymore. It's just a different universe. It just is. Uh, we're, we're not fans of this movie. This movie sucks. <laughs> so, okay. I put this movie on the list because, you know, this is romance in this musical. And I hadn't fully seen this whole movie. Now, you owned it. I owned it. I bought it because I was like, I, lo I really love the opening. I do. The opening's great. And I was like, oh, I should see that. And I think I saw it at one of those used. It's a used DVD that I bought. So I think I got it for like four bucks. Uh -huh. so I didn't like invest like real money into it. And I do distinctly remember sitting down to watch it and I fell asleep. Uh-huh. So I knew the whole opening sequence. I knew the dance sequence that she does when she's in Paris, when she says, I need the release. And I I knew the ending scene because of Gilmore Girls. Now, Gilmore Girls is in trouble now with me. <laughs> in season seven, episode four of Gilmore Girls, they're having trouble seeing a good movie. And so she gets taken on this date. At a drive-in, and it's a one-on-one -on -one drive in, and they show this movie. And they show the beginning and the end, and she's like, I love this movie. And the the gentleman she's with is like, I know. She's this movie's wonderful. I know. And so then the movie ends and we see the final scene. And she's like, That was perfect and amazing. So this Gilmore Girls romanticized this movie way more than it deserves. So now I am mad at Gilmore Girls. And I love Gilmore Girls. If the movie was just the beginning and the end. Sure. It probably would be a good movie. There's a lot wrong with this movie. Oh, boy, is there. So let's start with our writer. Uh-huh. Leonard Gersh. Uh, he did The Butterflies Are Free is his biggest thing, really. It play, musical, it's a movie, whatever. Okay. So he wrote this movie, but there's a couple things we need to know about this. There's a musical called Funny Face. Uh-huh. Its plot is completely different. It has four of the same songs. Okay. This plot matches Leonard Gersh's play, or musical rather, called Wedding Bells. 
that is where the, the plot came from. The studio bought this and bought the musical Funny Face so they could use the songs, but they wanted the plot of Wedding Bells. So this is a weird hybrid merging, and so it's garbage. Well, and are we going to mention who wrote the musical? Who wrote the music? Leonard Naira Gershwin. Yeah, that hurts my heart a little bit. It doesn't hurt my heart in this respect. Those songs are good. The songs are also written in a completely different time period than this movie takes place. Yes. They just don't work for the movie. No. 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 If this was a 1957 musical about fashion design Mm -hmm. in the 1930s, then it would have been fine. Mm -hmm. Would have been absolutely fine. Wouldn't have cared a bit. But that's not what's happening here. No. No, it's just a mess. I don't like, okay, the beginning is great. You like, you, you like, it's, it, it's fun. You feel like you're in a musical movie, you know, like you come in, you're like, okay, this is what's happening. This is a high powered woman. She's got a mission. Uh, and then, okay, we're going to, we're going to find a new model and think pink and okay. Except that I still don't buy the music style when they open the movie with the ultra modern photographs mm-hmm. and the title cards, yeah, and the music is already from a '30s RKO picture, I'm already out. I'm already done because it doesn't make any sense to me. No, the problem is how they did the song. Because Think Pink is a great song, and she's singing to the girls, being like, "I need you guys. This is what you need to focus on to do this magazine." Also, everything in that first. Uh, sequence of her walking down to all the secretaries and even her office is 100% copied in The Devil Wears Prada. (laughs) Go watch it. It's the down to her fucking office layout is the exact same. That's not shocking. No. Makes perfect sense. Yeah. They would have ripped it off from Funny Love it. And I really don't like The Devil Wears Prada. Love the book. Don't like the movie. That's another episode. But the problem is when she's singing that whole song, she's singing it to the camera. She's not singing it to her secretaries. That's the problem. Yeah. Every time, especially her, Miss Prescott, that's her name. She's singing to the camera. I don't want to fucking see that. And lest we think Mm -hmm. that this is a timeliness problem. Yeah. This was already a point on Broadway where we weren't doing a stand and sing directly to the audience or doing that with with a movie. It's like... They all decided we're going to make a 1930s musical Mm -hmm. and style it that way, but we're going to use indications of everything modern in Hollywood Mm -hmm. now. It baffles my mind why they made those decisions. Yeah. And then, you know, okay, like, they go to the bookstore, which, this is ridiculous, but I also kind of love it. (laughs) I love the ridiculousness. It's like, oh, this place is shabby and horrible. This is where we're going to do it. Oh, bookshop girl, get the fuck out. We don't care. We're just going to do it. I buy that because it's ridiculous but funny. Maybe a like, little bit. I, I buy that from Miss Prescott that she would just do that. I get that. Yeah. And I buy that the photographer, played by Fred, Fred Astaire, Dick, that he would see this girl and just be like, she's a little intriguing because she's a little off and instantly kiss her. Okay. I buy that. I buy that from his character. Uh-huh. I don't really buy anything else. What does that mean? I don't believe for a second that this girl, I don't believe for a second that Joe Stockton would do any of this shit. Uh Uh-huh. That's the problem. I don't believe our main character. 
at all. Well, no, because there's no reason for her. She wouldn't equivocate even to the point of making the decision that, well, I'll go just so I can see this professor. I could see her accidentally ending up in the photographs. Yes. That is hilarious and makes sense. And I could see if they focused more on that being a way in, it would have been better. I also don't think Dick would have been the one pushing for her. I feel like he would have been so put off by her. I think she should have been more put off by him kissing her. And then I think he would have been like, I don't want to deal with her because she's crazy. And, but I, he's being forced to work with her after, you know, Miss Prescott, you know, convinces her somehow. Okay. He's like, I will send you to Paris to meet your guy. She should have been the one being like, I will get you to Paris, which is the only thing you want if you do this for me. That's how that should have gone down. Well, let's let's set that aside and talk about this horribly problematic romance oh it's this is uh this is horrible it's pretty rapey it's it's very creepy he just forces himself on her and i i believe that and like at every turn okay so it doesn't help that fred astaire is clearly like 30 years older than her yeah but you know what okay i don't i don't care how old you think it was that man did not age for a very long time it's kind of like steve martin He's aged enough that it's a huge fucking problem for me in this movie. I I don't care. It um, bothers me. It doesn't bother me because I don't care. Well, it bothers. I don't believe any of it. But that's my thing. Is that's that's one of the reasons it bothers me. Mm-hmm. That's the believability issue. Yeah. If he was ten years, fifteen years younger, if this was Gene Kelly, it would be a different story in terms of their romance. True. I might be able to buy it, but I can't buy it, and a lot of it. And I, I understand age at a certain point doesn't have to be a barrier. But in this movie, but the see, way they're He doesn't together, come off to me in this film as being that old. He does to me. He, he does comes it off to me. So I, I see him more like late 40s. To me, he comes 60. off as a to me. He comes off as a mid mid 50s to late 60s dude trying to be 40. Okay, I think that's probably because I've seen more Fred Astaire than you have. Probably. But he also talks like he's from like 19. 19- 36. Well, their dialogue is horrible. Bozazz. They need bozazz. Not pizzazz. Bozazz. That's not a word. No, it's horrible and it's stupid. Yeah, so the writing sucks and we don't like the story. Okay, so let's talk about a director who is a good fucking director. And he did. Here's the thing. He he did what he could with this pile of shit. Stanley Donan. Uh-huh. He did On the Town. Uh-huh. Singing in the rain. Yes, he did. Whenever whenever Gene Kelly or wasn't doing it, he was doing it. The pajama game. Uh Seven Brides for Seven Brothers. Damn Yankees, Charade. And he did Lionel Richie's Dancing on the Ceiling. Wow. He was yeah. still going. He was referred to as the King of the Hollywood Musical. He is the King of the Hollywood Musical. Yes. I I mean, he filmed all those musical sequences pretty well. I just don't like any of them. None of this is his fault. No. At all. He he did what he could with what he was given, which was a giant pile of shit. The problem with this movie is the writing uh, from beginning to end. So, like, Stanley did a good job with the turn. Oh, he polished it up. Mm-hmm. He apparently made it into a classic film. Yeah. That people love to this day. <laughs> <sighs> all right. So let's go to our cast. Uh-huh. Uh, so two really big pa- I mean, there's only two people we're talking about. There's Audrey Hepburn and Fred Astaire. Uh, they were both cast 
by telling the other one that the other one had already agreed to it. So they tell Audrey that Fred was already doing it. They told Fred that Audrey was already doing it. And that's how they convinced them both to do it. Okay. That's fair. Uh, we'll start with Audrey Hepburn. Before this, she did Roman Holiday and Sabrina. And after, she did uh, Love in the Afternoon, Breakfast at Tiffany's, Charade, My Fair Lady, blah, 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 blah. Uh, she is an EGOT. Okay. Uh, she, you know, so she's won the Triple Crown of Acting. What does she have a Tony for? Uh, uh, Odine. She uh, got her Oscar for Roman Holiday. Is it Ondine? Ondine, maybe. I'm not sure. Uh, she got her Emmy for Individual Achievement. Oh, But it okay. still counts. And her Grammy was for the audiobook of her Enchanted Tales book. Hmm. But she's an EGOT. It all counts. Yeah, no. So she's got it. Um, Ooh, yeah, baby, she... she's got it. She's got it. Yeah, baby, she's got it. Uh, she turned down Gigi. Which she originated on Broadway to do this movie. She should have done that instead. Audrey Hepburn can't sing. Nope. They made the right choice in My Fair Lady. Well, they made the wrong choice because they didn't cast... uh, Julie Andrews. Correct. But she got to be Mary Poppins and she won her Oscar for that. So it all worked out. Um, But they made the right choice in dubbing her voice in that film. Mostly dubbing her voice. She did sing some of the songs. And that's okay. She sings in Breakfast at Tiffany's. Yeah. Which is fine, but it makes sense and works for her character there. Her voice didn't hit certain song ranges mm-hmm. in My Fair Lady. And so they they let her sing the songs that were in her vocal range that the, that the music like directors the, had. The Liza Doolittle. Yeah. The, when she's singing more Cockney style. Yeah. But um, this stuff? Hell no. She can't do it. And she's, it's, it's embarrassing. I'm embarrassed for her. She's just whiny. She talks through her nose. It's just awful. And I'm like, why do people think you're a good actress? Well, okay. Here's, (laughs) here's the thing. So I, inevitably, I, I tried to avoid trivia for this, but I was bored watching the movie. So I was flipping around. This is a boring film to watch. But I was looking at other things because Audrey is, I do think a really good actress. Like Mm -hmm. I've seen one of, one of my favorite movies that I've seen of hers is Wait Until Dark. She's actually really great in Wait Until Dark um, in the movie version. She does a very good job being convincingly blind and scared, frightened for her life. One of the big problems that they talked about with My Fair Lady, and I think it comes through in her acting, she's basically fucking royalty. Like, she grew up as an heiress in Belgium. Yeah. And, and like, all of her acting, all of her dancing is informed by that. She's got incredibly straight posture. She's got this incredibly lithe body. Hold on. No. My thing about it is, is that when you try to make her mousy, Mm -hmm. it will never, ever fucking work. It just doesn't work. It's why Rex Harrison, when they first cast her, was like, this is absolutely atrocious. She's never been in a fucking slum in her life. Nope. How could she know how to play it? She doesn't, and nobody knows how to direct her. And that's why I think it's such a problem. Is like, it makes sense in a movie like Roman Holiday Mm -hmm. or Breakfast at Tiffany's, where she's a socialite, because that's her experience. Yeah. But she can't play a mousy character, because it's not believable, ever. The first time I see her on screen, it was like, I mean, she is the original Manic Pixie Dream Girl. Mm. That's what she is. I mean, she's... She's just an iconic person at this point. Um, you know, she's a wonderful humanitarian. Uh, you know, she did accomplish a lot. But I'm just at the point where I was like, I don't find her interesting to watch at all. I don't think she's a good actress. I think she's pretty and that's about it. I haven't seen Breakfast at Tiffany's and I haven't seen Roman Holiday. And so okay. to my mind, 
without seeing those and maybe charade, I don't want to pass judgment. Mm -hmm. If I saw those three movies and liked her in it, I think it would be far more of a, they wanted her to be a movie star, Mm -hmm. but she was a very particular kind of movie star. She's definitely a particular kind of movie star. And you can only cast her in certain things for it to work. Yeah. Well, and the the problem is this movie, her character is iconic. Uh, This, her look is, has been copied for years. It's still copied. The whole sequence of her dancing, uh, the I need the release, uh, the beatnik thing, uh, that was used for a Gap commercial when they brought the black skinny jeans back. And funny enough, uh-huh. that scene kind of works for me. It worked a little bit, but I don't think he should... I think my problem with that scene is she shouldn't have seen him. He should have been watching her do this without her knowing. Because she's basically performing for him, and it would have worked better for me if he if she didn't know he was there. Yeah. Because um, then it also feels the more like he's falling for her. He's a tr- he's in love with her thing, where it's like, oh, he he went here to try and like find her, and oh, she's a lot different than I thought. This was in her, and I didn't realize that. Like that would have worked better. Yeah, something like that. Like, and then it comes back to to edit writing and editing. Uh, so her character Joe Stockton was based on Susie Parker who actually does show up in the movie. Uh, She's one of the featured dancers in the Think Pink section. Okay. That's about all I got. I didn't see any other names considered for her, for her character. So it was kind of her or die. (laughs) They should have picked die. (laughs) So now let's get to Mr. Fred Astaire. Okay. Daddy Long Legs. He's funny. His character is funny. He does have some jokes. In the last third of the movie? Yes. Yes. In the first two thirds of the movie? Fuck him. Yeah. Uh, Before this, he did a billion things because he's a thousand years old. He was born in 1899. Um, He did Shall We Dance, The Gay Divorcee, Easter Parade, uh, after he went on to do Silk Stockings, Daddy Long Legs, and a bunch of different stuff. And apparently he is known for the towering inferno. That's weird. Uh, <laughs> Everyone was in that movie. Uh, he's, Everyone. He's an amazing dancer. He's also really good at a bunch of different styles, too, which we did get a couple from him. He's he's always fun to watch. Uh, he's He has a very relaxed nature. I think we talked about this when we did uh, Singing in the Rain. Right. Where Gene Kelly is very athletic and muscular, and Fred Astaire just glides. Yeah, it's grace versus power. And they're both great at what they do. Mm-hmm. It's just, just different, different. styles. Uh, his character was based on Richard Avedon. Uh, the fashion photographer, he, uh, who actually ended up being the dude. Like, he set up all the shots. He took all the pictures that we see in the movie. Yes. Uh, so, yeah. Which is why all the still shots are gorgeous. Yeah, he took that picture of Audrey Hepburn. It's so weird to think that Richard Avedon was around then, because I always think of him as a late 60s guy, but... I mean, this is 57. I know, but it's... it. it it's just kind of crazy that he was already a big enough deal then, and I and yeah. his legacy in I think for many people is the late '60s fashion yeah. period and the photography he did then. Mm-hmm. I mean, it's fine. I guess I just I didn't find him funny because I didn't find it believable. It's That's like everybody just gets wasted in this movie because they're they're working their butts off, and I just don't care. Yeah, he was in the the stage musical. Body face in 19, with his sister like 1927 yeah uh, again the the stage musical is a completely different plot and so he was in that he was also in the stage musical of gay divorcee that he related to the movie for he's great like god bless it i would have rather just watched that i would have rather just watched them do an adaptation of the gershwin mm-hmm. musical 
and to be like, we're going with like a Busby Berkeley vibe way back when. That's what Singing in the Rain did. I would have just liked to see more of his dancing. Yeah. And he can sing. Uh, He considered Michael Jackson his descendant. He said he wouldn't have been okay dying without knowing who was going to take up his mantle, I guess what you would say. I'll allow that. Uh, And so, yeah. I'm like, all right, that's fair. Especially because Michael had his own complete style. True, but uh, no no less talented. Absolutely not. Uh, He, uh, Fred Astaire, uh, took ballet for a little while, but he's found it boring. He's like, it's a game. (laughs) Which sounds like Fred Astaire. Yeah, that sounds like him. It's so hard to say anything one way or the other about it because everything just falls apart. All right. Well, even though we thought it was a dud, it did get nominated for a couple of Oscars. Uh, Oh, boy. It got nominated for writing. What? Yeah. It got nominated for cinematography, which I could see that. That makes sense. I could see that. No, this is this is a gorgeous movie and the details were done quite well. So Uh, it got nominated for uh, set direction. Yeah. uh, The art direction for set decoration. That's what it is. And then, of course, costume design, which was done both by Edith Head yes. and Givenchy. Also, Audrey Hepburn was Givenchy's muse. Ah. Uh, so that, that ties into all that. That makes sense. So, yeah. I mean, like, the clothes are cool. Like, some of them I think are stupid, but of the time, pretty dang amazing. Some of it's just like, no. Different time period. The shiny, you know, the shiny fabrics, you know, I don't go in for a lot of that, but. Some of it is just like, oh, that's stunning. But, you know, Audrey Hepburn's main outfit, the black sweater and black skinny pants, that has, that, I mean, I could wear that today. That works on any woman, anybody, anytime, no problem. Oh, yeah. Her in the, her in the French cafe is quite, quite outstanding. Yeah. I mean, it's just that. It's a gorgeous look and a classic look. Yep. And it will never, it will never go away. Nope. And that's okay, because it's a good one. Uh, so now let's go to our songs. This is a musical. <laughs> uh, okay. There are four songs. That were in the original musical that they, they specifically wanted to make sure they could do in here. Of course, the song Funny Face. I love your funny face. Your sunny, funny face. For you're a cutie with more than beauty. You've got a lot. Of personality for me, you fill the Which is good. It's a good song. I feel like one of the other problems I had with the songs, and this one is in particular, is that the sung vocals mm-hmm. have little to no emotion in them. Correct. Or that they have lots of emotion, but the acting ha- is completely dispassionate. Mm-hmm. It, it's always a wild difference from what's going on on screen. Mm-hmm. Audrey Hepburn will just be singing this kind of thin note. Mm-hmm. And then on screen, she'll be like belting. And you're like, what the fuck is happening? Yeah. Uh, next song that was in both was He Loves and She Loves. Which is from It's fine. <laughs> the next one is Let's Kiss and Make Up was in both, which is. It, I don't, I, I, you could cut the song, I care less. And then, you know, it's wonderful. It's wonderful. It's wonderful. It's marvelous. It's marvelous. That you should care for me. Sawful knives. Sawful knives. Spa- 
which is super cheesy and small too, but it is a it is really a good way to end the movie. I mean, I guess so I'm okay with that one. But I um, I also keep finding myself it's like where is where is the Gershwin style? Where is the swing? Where is the beat? Okay, it's, that should be here. It's in what is what I think is the best song in the whole movie. Okay, was written for the musical but was never actually used, so they put it in this movie. Which is it's how long has this been going on? I could cry salty tears. Where have I been all these years? Is it fun? Or should I run? How long has this been going on? There were chills up my spine. Ah. That song is beautiful. It's well used in the film. It's sung very well. And it tells a part of the story. Yeah. I like that song. That's fair. And that feels very Gershwin. So that's like the only, I, I, I do like the think pink thing, but that's, I just, I like it. But how long has this been going on actually really feels connected to this story almost. So, so that one has to stay. I think the most obnoxious, most obnoxious song was Bonjour Paris. I want to step out down the Champs-Élysées from the Arch of Triumph to the Petit Palais. That's for me. Bonjour Paris. I want to wander through the sky. Because, <laughs> like, it's happening. So they all get to Paris and they're all tired. And everyone says, okay, we're going to go back to our hotel because we need to rest. We need to rest. But they all go sightseeing. And I was like, wh- halfway through the song, I was like, when did we get into a tourism commercial? Okay, so I do get this. Mm-hmm stylistically yeah i mean it it makes sense oh we're all gonna go rest and do nothing and they're all looking super excited which makes sense yeah because we're paris but it goes on and on and on yeah they go to every fucking paris landmark and you know there's a musical where they did this perfectly well Mm -hmm. on the town new york new york a wonderful town the bronx is up and the battery's down the people ride in a hole in the ground new york new york it's a wonderful town New York, New York, it's a wonderful town. town. That, (laughs) they did it perfectly. So they're trying to recreate that feeling. I I guess. I mean, I I understand you're going to Paris, you're going to show this off. It should have just been like two minutes shorter. You know what it should have been? It should have been presented in a much different way. Now, let me talk about my worst song. Okay. Which was originally written for the musical OK, which is Clap Your Hands. Spirit called Voodoo. Put your Bobby Bobby. Nothing but trouble if he's found you. I will say this this is the best dance in the whole fucking show. Agreed. It's great. Yeah. Fred Astaire is kicking a guitar as he's tap dancing on the floor. That's some fucking skill. It's magnificent. Yeah. Again, different style and amazing. However, it's not Porgy and Bess. And furthermore, I will give a slight pass to George and Ira Gershwin because I actually did some research on them at one point for other things. Um, but I know that a lot of the stuff that they wrote in dialect 
mm-hmm. was done on purpose for black characters to sing. Okay. Like Porgy and Bess seems very offensive, yeah. but that's because they were trying to authentically write characters in an opera about black people. Okay. It's... And it was in a 1920, I mean, it it's racist but not bad. <laughs> it's <laughs> It is bad to look yeah. back on. Yeah. At the time, it was really progressive. No, no I, I, I. Now I'm gonna, I'm gonna, I'm gonna decide to be okay with it. I'm not gonna be okay with this fucking no, song. This though, fucking song is horrible because there are two white people singing about voodoo and chilling, and they're trying to do the affectation, which is obnoxious. As they're in a Paris beat poetry happening, it's the... so. Fucking bad. So much white privilege. The whole song, I have my hands over my face. And I know that, like, their justification must have been, well, it's Southern. It's like, no. No, it's not fucking Southern. Mm -hmm. Like, they're doing this whole Tallahassee bit, which is funny, but that's not even close to cool. Mm -hmm. The song is just, it was bad. Which sucks, because the dance Uh, was so good. Yeah, it was a very good dance. Romance? Uh, Creepy and problematic. Right? Yeah. The fact that he just kisses her on the mouth without any prior warning. Yeah. And then she just falls for him. I'm mostly just better that Gilmore Girls lied to me. <laughs> Which is the first thing I said after we finished this movie. I was like, Gilmore Girls lied to me. So uh, I'm so disappointed. It's okay. Can you see why people would love this movie? Yes. Yes, I do. Really? I do. It's it's the fashion and the Audrey Hepburn and, you know, it's just in the Paris. I, I get it. I can't, though. Like, I I can understand why you would like those elements, but I can't understand then why you would buy into the rest of the premise of the movie. Uh, there's also that whole nostalgia factor. I'm sure if I had grown up watching this movie, there's a part of me that, like, Hello, Dolly. I know it's not a perfect film, but I grew up watching that movie, and I, I super love it. That's true. I mean, that's that's... A slightly better hot mess of a movie. It's a much better movie compared to this. I mean, I gave it a three. Yeah. Hello, Dolly's problem wasn't the story or anything like that. It it was was Walter Matthau. It was Walter Matthau, and then it was just really sloppy. Yeah. But but this is just bad. This is just bad. And the problem is ultimately the story is the biggest problem. Well, because the story was cobbled together with like five things in the studio who just went like, hey, we got all these things together. Let's make a musical. It's a a formula film instead of a, a, a movie. All right, so we're going to... How many bazazzes are we going to give this? <laughs> there was a sequence where she says it like five times in a row. Which was kind of funny, but horrible at the same time. Uh, the Tallahassee sequence got me, though. That was pretty good. Um, oh, it's it's technically my movie, so I'm supposed to go first. This is a 1.5. Oh, uh, I'm undercutting you. This is a 1. <gasps> you finally matched my Robocop. <laughs> this does not work on any level. All right. I'm giving it a 1.5 because I really like the opening sequence and I like Fred Astaire. And I just didn't buy I'm okay with that. any of that bit. I'd rather watch a Fred Astaire movie in his prime where everything makes sense. Yeah, I like this movie isn't even worth it for me to argue you're one. Like, I'm just like, whatever, fine. Right. There's, there's nothing that great about it. You could go watch it if you want, but I'm not going to recommend it to you. No, no. And if you do really, truly love it, I would really enjoy uh, finding out why. Like, please send that to us. And if it is uh, 
appropriate enough. Like I, I will read it on the show. Like I will read your feedback if you think we've got we totally missed something. I would enjoy hearing why you actually love this movie. Yeah, I would too. Yeah, it'd be interesting to to note those reasons why. Is it is it a nostalgic reason? Is it that you really find something compelling about the story? Is it that you actually think it's good? At which point. I have to argue with you, but yeah. that's fine. Yeah. It'd just be interesting because this yeah. is considered a freaking classic. Yeah. And we don't see that. So, yeah, I need so- I need someone to shed some light on why they love this. Be our spirit guide. Yes. Yes. Help please. us. Help, please. <laughs> uh, yeah. You can email us, macintoshandmod at gmail.com. You can find us on the Twitters. Uh, we have a Facebook group now, which we would love for y'all to come join and hang out with us. We're going to do some more polls and stuff, especially with our upcoming series. So this is our last in our romance and musicals. We didn't want to spend too long over here. It's a fond farewell. We had lots of fun. We got to see some really interesting stuff. We had a lot of fun. I did. It was it was nice to get to add some movies, too, that I was like, these are things I wouldn't normally get to do on this show, so... Yeah, and I liked that I got to fill in a lot more of your teen movies that you missed. Worked out great. Yeah, that worked out. It was a lot of fun. We got to have a guest, which was James. We hope to have more guests later on in the future. But now, now it's time for something a little bit different. <laughs> Oh, that's right. It's 007 time. I'm actually really excited about this. I've been on like a, like, I'm in the mood for some action and some spy. I've been watching <laughs> Mission Impossible. I uh, just was like, I'm, I'm ready for this. Let's do it. Are you in the mood for some casual racism and awful sexism as well? That's every day of my life. <laughs> so sure. Oh, but like really bad rapey stuff? That's every day of my life. It's, uh... It's going to get real interesting with the James Bond. Okay. This is going to be the first of, like, a long-term project for us, but we're going through all of the Sean Connery Bonds. Yes. We're going through uh, Diamonds Are Forever, uh, and so there's one George Lazenby in there. Oh, we have to do Under Majesty's Secret Service. So we are going to do that because we're going in order of how they were released. So we're going we're gonna to do seven Bond films in a row. Yeah. And it is going to be intense. Yeah, but it'll be fun. I can't believe you haven't seen these movies. I've never seen any of these. The only Bond films I have seen are Pierce Brosnan and Daniel Craig. And I don't think I've seen all of the Sean Connery ones. Okay. I'm pretty sure I've seen all of Roger Moore. Okay. And then everybody else I've seen. But it's like, I think some of the very early Sean Connery ones, I'm still iffy on whether or not I have or haven't. Like, I know I've seen a couple of the iconic scenes because they've been replayed with new ones. Oh, yeah. But you have no context. (laughs) I don't have any context. When when I would have watched them on reruns, I would have been too young to understand a lot of things going on. So, I mean, I'm just, I'm excited to fill this in. Prepare for segments. I like segments. Bits. I like bits. And, um, like I said, problems. Yeah. (laughs) Yeah. But, uh... With Sean Connery in line first, we're going to have a lot of fun. I'm excited, and I hope you guys are too. All right, until next time. All right, so like everybody else in the universe, we saw Avengers Infinity War this weekend. The Avengers and their allies must be willing to sacrifice all, in an attempt to defeat the powerful Thanos before his blitz of devastation and ruin puts an end to the universe.
Okay, so no spoilers. No spoilers. No spoilers. I really liked it. I had a lot of fun. Um, I didn't have like crazy, amazing expectations. I was just like, I'm really excited to see all my superhero friends hang out. Yeah. That's what I went in with. And I got that. I got exactly that. There's a few that I was like, wait, where are they? I don't, mm-hmm. we're missing a few of them. But I bet you we're, we're coming around on an appearance later. I know there had been talk in the past about there being Infinity Wars Part 1 and Infinity Part Part 2. This this is definitely Part 1 of a two-part story. Yes. But I like the different character mixes that we got. The combinations was super fun. It's so funny. I mean, there's one thing Marvel does well. It is quippy. It is very quippy and it is and so enjoyable. Yep. And with the different character combinations, we got to play off of that so much more and i feel like we also got some really neat character moments for growth later on in in future films absolutely and and that's always great to see in a superhero film and so i had a lot of fun i'll be owning this on on blu-ray and and i i kind of want to see it again but we have a lot coming up so we're probably not going to see it again in the theaters not to mention we get the best villain they've ever put out not saying something this is a really great villain you know and talking about it we've already seen glimpses of him but thanos is by far the most powerful villain they've ever had and the most daunting oh yeah and we've talked about him for a very long time he feels joker level equivalent to what we've dealt with in this universe uh i think that's fair i think that's a fair comparison um he comes with him a lot of mythos and gravitas so when you see him you're like all right and josh brolin is a great choice uh i really do like the design of that character it's very cool a little bit different classic in some ways uh, yeah, uh, I don't, I didn't look too much into the comic books. I, I, I'm the type with these movies that I like to go enjoy the movie. And then afterward, I like to look up, okay, what was, what was the character like in the comic books? What's their different iterations? I like to do that after the film. I like to enjoy the movie they presented to me. You know, now I'm going to go do a little deep dive and look into a few things and that'll be fun. And, you know, it'll hold me over until, you know, Ant-Man and the Wasps comes out in August. Oh, boy. Yeah. Well, then we get Captain Marvel in January. So, I mean. That'll be awesome. That'll be super fun. Seems about every four to five months we're going to get another superhero movie. And I'm okay with that because I enjoy them. I am starting to feel the fatigue of many people there are certain heroes that i'm Mm -hmm. all in on yes and then there's some where i'm just like i don't care anymore yeah we didn't really care too much for ant-man but i do like that this is ant-man and the wasp so we're gonna get he he's the type of guy who needs a sidekick absolutely so i think this one could be a little bit more fun and it's not an origin story because those get a little old after a while too even when they're different characters you get a little over it so that's one of the things we loved about thor so much Oh, Ragnarok yeah. was that like it's just like let's just go play with Thor it's it, fun it's a space adventure with Thor Loki and the Hulk yeah it was so much fun this one definitely not that it is the meaning of the minds but 10 years 10 years has been building to this 18 different films yeah I mean, it was fun if you enjoy the the Marvel Cinematic Universe at all you'll enjoy this film it is fun there was a, a couple uh cameos that surprised the hell out of me because i just didn't 
I, I've tried to stay away from spoilers. One particular thing got spoiled for me, but it was fine. But there were a couple cameos. I was like, I had no clue because I didn't look at the cast list. I didn't do anything. And it was fun. Yeah. I got excited. I, I did a lot of like, oh my God, my face is melting. <laughs> I was just, it was just funny. All right. Till next time. Bye, guys. That's it for this episode. Please take a moment to review and rate us on iTunes. And for questions and comments, drop us an email at macintoshandmod at gmail.com. 